Welcome to another episode of the Phoenix Rising Podcast, Journeys of Descending into the Mysteries and Rising from the Roots. I am your host, Lisa Hillier, spiritual mentor and priestess. I have guided hundreds of women through my one-to-one mentorship, online courses, and Patreon portal into the mysteries within them to rise rooted into their sovereign selves. Today I have Elaine Kalila Doughty on the show with me. And Elaine Kalila has been on the path of passionate service for the past 20 years, inspiring women around the world to unleash their leadership gifts and step into their full potential. She specializes in helping women tap into their deepest wisdom, enabling them to harness their own transformational power to be more effective and whole in every aspect of their lives. She is the founder of the Priestess Presence Temple, a sisterhood of over 90,000 women around the world, and the Red Podcast, a place for bold, inspired, outrageously courageous, and just a tad bit naughty women leaders to gather to talk about all the things that are most important in our lives. Can't wait to sink into this episode with you. Please like, share. If you feel called make a to make a financial contribution, please consider joining the Patreon portal. Can't wait to dive in. Welcome, Elaine Kalila. And to start, we're going to start with the question of what has been the journey that has led you to the work that you're offering the world today? Oh, that's a powerful question. Um, So there's a number of levels and layers to that, but essentially what my life set me up for very, very early on is, is that I was one who was born to a mother who could not mother. And so my mother was both physically and psychologically mentally ill. And um, from really from the time that I was born. And so I did not have a a close or bonded or functional relationship with my mom. And what that set up for me very, very early on in my life was a deep, deep wound with the feminine Mm -hmm. and a deep wound with the sense of mother or the sense of that connection into my own mother line. And that led to a lot, a lot, a lot of different initiations and difficulties in my early years through into my 20s and my 30s and really became my initiation journey. What I see as being kind of like each one of us comes in with, you know, a bag of things that we're here to resolve in this lifetime. And that was really in my bag. And what that set me on um, in my 20s you know we all hit that kind of like Saturn return time 28 29 in there I had kind of a massive awakening around that time and it really put me onto the path of training to be a therapist and mainly because I myself had been so deeply confused and overwhelmed by my own internal process and by what had happened to my own psyche, essentially through that, that loss of the mom. And, um, and so long story short, I trained to be a therapist. And on that journey, I worked with a lot, a lot of women around the mother wound and around what led me ultimately to the path of discovery of the divine feminine and my recognition that spirituality and my idea of who God was and what God was and what spiritual process was had been devoid of that feminine and not only was I missing my personal mother 
but I was missing a connection to the God as mother goddess. Mm -hmm. And that opened up a whole nother world for me that I now sit within, which is the world of the divine feminine, of divine feminine spirituality, of the priestess world and the whole community that I now curate and walk with, who are women who are called to this word priestess, to the practice of divine feminine spirituality and embodiment um, in their own bodies and beings so in short really you know I think that many of us are given an experience that wounds us deeply mm. and that we certainly the women in my community and maybe the women and beings that are listening here um, have the experience of some kind of wound or missing experience from their lives that propels you on a soul journey you know, and that it's a really deep part of how our lives sort of unfold and what we're drawn to. Mm. And so there's a lot of other pieces in there that are to do with also my early upbringing. I was raised into the um, evangelical church in England, which is slightly different to the evangelical church here in America. Um, but again, it's, it's, you know, very much based in that, that ideology or cosmology of um, Jesus as your savior. So I was raised in that. And I was also raised in the Anglican church, which is the very different kind of Christian, Christian church. So I was raised in both of those. And I was pretty devoutly Christian as a child I was very attached to Jesus and very attached to the whole path of being um you know I, I remember when I was a kid I you know I used to say you know I'm going to marry Jesus when I grow up that's mm -hmm. who I'm marrying right and I had this this intimate love for him that was very personal and that all shifted and changed when I got to the age of 13. And in the Anglican church, that's when you are confirmed. And what confirmation means is that, is that you basically are considered old enough to make your own decisions and you choose the path of Christianity and you say yes. And that didn't, what it denotes is you are then after your confirmation able to take the Holy Communion, which is the bread and the wine and be part of that, that ritual, the Eucharist. And I, at 13 years old, basically was in the church and I was so excited, you know, because this was going to be the day that I was to receive the Holy Spirit. And for me, that was going to be like, you know, this extraordinary experience. And um, I remember the standing there in the pew and the bishop with this old crusty dude with a big old hat on coming with the sacred oil to anoint me you know, with the Holy Spirit. And as he anointed me, I looked at him in the eyes and there was no one there. Mm. There was no presence there. It was like it was a an empty, perfunctory ritual. And, you know, as a 13-year-old, just beginning my, my, my menstrual cycle and coming into my young womanhood and being that maiden, my ire came up, my fire, and I was pissed. I was mad. And I felt the betrayal in that moment. And there was something that happened to me inside where I could no longer buy into this whole thing because it didn't feel real to me. And then I had the very telling thought. It was like it arrived like a shard of light into my mind. And I remember it. And I was like, wait a minute, 
where are all the women mm. in this Christian church? Like, where are they? Where are they? And it was like uh, one of those, you know, moments that you remember that just was a turning point for my own psyche and consciousness around something's not right here. Like something is really not right. And that was also tandem with the mother wound kind of propelled me into this fascination with looking for the divine feminine in all these different cultures. And so I, I traveled a lot looking for where is she? Where is she? Where is she? You know, I went to India and I went to Africa and I went all over the planet looking for like, there must be the divine feminine somewhere. And I saw a lot of evidence of her, but then my question became, well, who is she within me? And so there's a lot of pieces in that story, Lisa, but that's kind of like our lives are really woven textures of beautiful stories, right? And those are some of the pieces that when you ask that question are here today and there's others, but that's what comes to me. Mm, beautiful. I love that piece of kind of our core wounds shape the spiritual curriculum that we're here to experience in the initiations. And it's not easy. There's a lot of um, lessons and growth and, and all of it that comes with it. How does the mother wound show up in a woman's life? Oh my gosh. You know, I'm, I'm right this moment. I'm, I'm working in one of my temples. We're in the great mother moon. January is when we work with the great mother. And I'm thinking and feeling like, how it's showing up in all the women that I'm I'm tending to and being with, you know, and I think it comes up in a lot of different ways, but I, I think one of the core ways is a feeling of not belonging, mm -hmm. of not feeling um, that you are welcomed and that you are loved no matter what. You know, this is the primary transmission of the mother energy, which is that doesn't matter what you do or don't do, it's not conditional on your performance, on you being good or, you know, whatever it is. That kind of love that we really yearn for is the love that can hold space for all of the different parts of us and love you anyway. Mm. And I think that many of us don't have an imprint of what that is or feels like that was certainly true for me like there's just an absence of that imprint and I think in our culture we're very very used to the the experience of conditional love I'll love you if mm. and what that does then is set up all kinds of strategies and behaviors within us and defenses that are fashioned around what do I have to do to make sure I get the love Whereas the truth of it is that the love is and the deeper level of our real state of being is, is that, that that love is who we are. We just don't know that because we've never been shown how to feel that or been in a related field where that is what's being extended to us. And so many, 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 many women that I have interfaced with, including myself, then what we do is we close down to even the possibility of that kind of love. And then we don't even see it when it's coming towards us, right? So then we have a deficit of receiving. So I think a lot of us as women then overgive mm. 
and over over love and over tend and over caretake in an attempt or a belief that if we give it we'll receive it but that's not really how it works mm-hmm. and we're kind of in that so I think that there's a lot of different ways that it manifests but I think you know some of the shadows of the great mother are you know this scarcity this feeling of not belonging that they're not being enough for you that you are um have to do something in order to be loved or that you are over responsible for everybody else and you need to take care of everybody else or that you um, have a real hard time receiving nurturance or finding nurturance or feeling rooted or feeling connected right like those are all part of what we could see as being a mother wound Mm, yeah and so within this search for the divine feminine, you know, the, the mother, where has she shown up in the realms of, you know, I'll bring up Mary Magdalene, Mother Mary, um, within the mystery schools, what does she look like or who does she look like and how do you access her within you? Because mm-hmm. I would, you know, on my own path, that is a way to heal that mother wound. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I think that this is actually, you know, it's interesting that we're talking about this today, because I think, you know, one of the other seminal parts of my own experience was, you know, I trained as a therapist, and I I shared with you that. And, and I, I sat as a therapist with my clients, and then obviously, I was in the therapeutic world that frame and it was very very valuable and I did a lot of work around the mother wound and around the trauma of abandonment and neglect and all the things right but even after all of that work with all these different modalities and somatics and you know a lot of different things I was left with this place where I still did not know what mother who mother was like I, I still didn't have a reference point for that. And there was a place where I still could not really deepen into that love. I couldn't, I just, it, it wasn't, it just didn't give me an access point. And that's when I found the mystery school. And I found the 13 moon mystery school and Ariel Spilsbury, who's been one of my deepest mentors and profound teachers on my path. And I remember entering into the mystery school and having what I call a direct experience of mother through not just Ariel, although Ariel was part of that, but through being in the mystery school and being in the circles that I was part of, it was like we moved out of the talking about from the psychological point of view to a direct embodiment of that love with one another. Mm. And I, this is where I think that we're really stuck in a lot of our ways of working is we, 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 we only are working through the mind and then we come to the body, but what we miss is the heart mm. and the real experience because the heart knows when it feels love. The heart knows when it feels truth. The heart knows when it feels that wisdom and connection. And we have to have an actual real experience of that. But it's very hard to do that within our personal relationships because 
that's where we tend to play out the drama of not getting what we want and what we need, right? So we have to put ourselves into some kind of rarefied environment where that's what we are doing together. And that's what a mystery school is, is we're having a direct interface with the archetypal element of mother as she lives within us. It's being evoked. See, this is the thing. We have this idea that it's out there, that we have to get it from out there. And that's one of the places where I've been so grateful to be initiated, ordained, brought into these mystery school traditions that really are about gnosis, about inner knowing that the archetype of mother or goddess of compassion or primal goddess or the initiator or any of these archetypes of the divine feminine that we could speak about are not outside of ourselves, they're within us. Mm. And part of the work, if we will, is to come to know them within us. And so for me, there was a radical awakening because one of the belief systems that I had, Lisa, and I, and I think this is common amongst women who don't have a great relationship with their mom or were abandoned or neglected or whatever, is I had this belief inside of myself that I couldn't mother because I wasn't mothered and that I didn't know what mother was. And it actually really stood in, you know, my life journey. The result of that is that I didn't end up having children because I just did not believe that I could mother. And it was a really deep wound for me. And by the time that I had healed that sufficiently within myself, I was already 46 years old. This was about mm. 10 years ago. And I was, you know, and I did actually fall pregnant at 46. And it's a whole nother story, but which was another massive initiation into healing. But I didn't end up having the baby because I miscarried. But the point being here is, is that I think it, it this affects us very deeply because we don't believe ourselves to be able to really love or mother without that imprint. And if you didn't receive it as a child, there's this kind of place of like, we're constantly looking for it. And for me, the mystery school gave me these teachings, which were to do with presencing Mother Mary or Magdalene or Pachamama or Gaia or whoever the different, you know, 10,000 names of the goddess that we could presence was an entirely different experience than talking about it. And I always remember Ariel saying to me, Kalila, this is the difference between pointing at the moon and being the moon. Mm. And if you can just feel that for a moment, right? Yeah. It, it's a profound shift in perception. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so how does the moon relate with the divine feminine? <laughs> the beautiful question, right? <laughs> well, because the moon well, energetically is the reflection of the sun, right? So there she is. She's the yin to the yang. Mm. She's dark night to the bright sunlight. She is the receptive. She is the lunar consciousness, the feminine consciousness, the left-handed path to the right-handed path. She is the ruler of the tides and of the emotions and the deep feelings in our ancestry. She is the the one who brings us into the deeper psychic field, the unconscious out of which everything else is born. You know, she 
is the magnetic force that moves the tides on the planet and our own tides within our bodies, our menstrual cycle, right? This, this original relationship with the moon, you know, and a lot of what I've studied to do with early goddess culture is that the early shamankas, the early women shamans would literally start to understand that there was a relationship between this orb in the sky and their menstrual cycles right so they would start to recognize that on the dark of the moon most of the women would be who were actively cycling would be bleeding together that there would be this blood moon experience and that at the full moon there was a very different experience and that was a that was the experience of the ovulation and the fertility and they began to track this through their own navigation with the moon and they would they started to to literally measure this timing which didn't exist time did not exist in the way of being measured right and they started to etch that onto stones and bones and recognize that there was a rhythm Mm-hmm. to this cycle that it was dependable as just as it was in our bodies and that you know there's a lot of different you know, feminist theologians and scholars that have researched this but one of the things that really blew my mind around that was that that then that and this comes from Judy Grant's work where she talks about metaphoric um, theory but truly that those women were the ones who basically invented rituals and culture because from this we developed time and an idea of the cycle of time and that time repeats itself and this whole idea of the kairos time the feminine time the left-handed path was kind of born into consciousness and created culture and it's a very fascinating idea that it was through this 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 very intimate connection with our blood cycle and the moon cycle so there's something very intimate, right, around the priestesses of the moon, around the shamankas, around these connections between the moon and our deeper knowing of ourselves that is embedded symbolically and practically speaking throughout, you know, many, many, many thousands of years of our human history. And so she is the guiding light of our shifting ever shifting flow that we go from new moon to full moon and back to new moon denoting this this process of of coming into from from the darkness into life and then fall it blooming in the moon and then disseminating ourselves again and dying each cycle right so this embeddedness of birth life death and rebirth is in our bodies literally and so all of that is mother and that to me when I started first studying that which was about I don't know 25 years ago that I really came into this whole knowledge base around the blood mysteries and around the connection into our bodies and the cycles of time it was like you know my mind was blown because I was like why is no one telling us this because when we know this information the connection to our bodies and to the earth and to mother isn't an idea it's actually a a a lived experience and that also fueled me on the path of having a relationship with my body with my womb with my blood with this whole blood mysteries in a way that also brought mother to me this is what it is 
you know, mm-hmm. and then we have the, the phases of the moon understood as, you know, maiden, mother, and crone. I like to add a fourth one in there, which is maiden, mother, sovereign, queen, or empress, and crone. And you might want to talk about that because that's a different phase of development that mm-hmm. I think we are um, in many of us as women right now. But there is this um, understanding that we are cyclical beings. And that when you root yourself into that notion that we are constantly being born and dying through this life, that it's not a linear, only a right-handed linear journey, you're born, you die. You cycle through this every month and then through our own life cycle is at the heart of mother. That's Mm -hmm. the divine feminine. The divine feminine is not a conceptual spirituality. It's an embodied spirituality. Mother is all about body, physicality, grounding into the earth, sustenance, you know, and um, that coming home, I think, for many of us as women is profound to find that sense of, oh, that connection, belonging, love. Yeah. I love how you spoke about kind of the the rebirth, the death, the cycle, that, that life is cyclical. It's not linear. It's not we're born and then we die. And as women, and I believe men do as well, although I'm not familiar with their initiations and transitions as much, but as women, we go through these initiations and transitions, you know, one of them being our first bleed. One can be birthing a child or creating something different mother. Another can be menopause can you speak to those um rites of passage you know and I think as women I know in my experience my first bleed was not a monumental experience (laughs) it was like oh you're gonna suffer with this for many many years kind of experience message to be given right I mean horrifying message to give to a girl yeah yeah and it there's so much power in our menstrual cycle in our bleed yeah Yeah. can you speak to that yeah I mean you know it's interesting you say that because I I have a little story about that which is so denotes it I remember you know because I was raised by my dad right so because mom wasn't there and my dad did a really great job of the shelter and the food on the table and you know making it all work but he he would be the first to admit now he's still with us god bless him but he would be the first to admit that on the emotional psychological level it was just way out of his zone of like understanding of how to handle a girl and I always remember he came home from the the, from shopping one day and he says to me (laughs) and I was like about 13 and he says to me there's something in the larder the larder is the grocery cupboard in England something in the larder for you I was like oh great it's a treat right and I go running to the larder and there's a brown paper bag in there and I'm like what the heck is that and I look inside and it was a, a it was full of sanitary towels and I remember that moment I was like completely horrified I blushed from like the top of my you know from the tip of my hair to my toes so my whole body just went into like (gasps) and I ran upstairs and I was like oh my god oh my god oh my god and I was so ashamed and embarrassed and uncomfortable and it was never mentioned that was that was it there's a bra it was never talked about right mm. god bless him so you know that was my initiation 
And then I didn't start bleeding until I was 16. I was super late. And so for me, there was also a whole thing around the fact that I was not right because I wasn't bleeding. Yet. So that's a whole initiation. I know we spoke a little bit about this before we even got onto recording today that we're both in full-blown perimenopause. And I think this is, um, and I'd be curious to hear Lisa from your perspective, but for me, I'm, well, I'm now 55 this year and I'm like still in it. <laughs> and I was really mad because all of my sisters who I am compatriots with all stopped at 50 and I'm still here at 55, you know. And this journey has been one that has been very powerful in terms of navigating this rite of passage. And I, and I love to speak to that because I think the missing of the rites of passage for us as women is a seminal way in which we get lost and confused on our path, right? Can you imagine? Because if you imagine at menarche, the first bleed, if you were actually given some information about the cycles of life and how you were part of that and I mean, just the basic education about your body and your connection to the moon and the tides and all of it, it, how would that change then how you see it, you know, and how you feel it? And so for me, this rite of passage, and I, and I said, you know, there was mother maiden crone in the original trinity of the goddess. Well, I feel like we adding a, another phase in there because I don't know about you, but I'm not ready to be a crone. I'm not at my crone stage. I'm in a new phase, which I like to think of as being the empress or the queen, sovereign queen phase, which is I'm no longer a mother. I'm no longer bleeding. I can no longer give birth to a baby, right? That that function of the body is shifted. And with it is my rite of passage into a new phase of life and into a new place of power. And for me personally, this is something I was just speaking to with the Circle of Sisters last night, that there has been a journey for me in terms of letting go of everything in my life that no longer resonates. It's like another Saturn return, and that's coming, right, because it comes around 56, so I'm about to head into a Saturn return. However, I feel like this phase of moving from mother to empress or sovereign queen is a lot to do with how we use our energy differently or how we're being called to look at what we want the next phase of our life to look like. Like this next chapter is a lot to do with embodying the wisdom and the power that we have traveled. It's a lot to do with sitting in that position of leadership in our families and our communities and no longer being concerned with a lot of the things that we were concerned about in our younger years, which was, you know, a lot to do with what we look like and do people love me and do people like me and am I successful and am I bloody, 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 blah, all the things. And I'm not saying that they're all completely gone, but there's a place where it just like, I don't know, I always call her the part of me that doesn't suffer fools gladly, you know, like she's more here. Like, she's just like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. That's a waste of time and energy. Yeah. <laughs> we don't play that game anymore, you know? 
And it's like, there's an arrival into a, a, you know, I always equate it to kind of like sitting back in your chair, like you're sitting, you know, you're not leaning into it all. You're kind of sitting back and you're, you're in a more centered place. Uh, and that's why I like to think of it as in the queen energy or the empress of sitting in the throne, sitting in, you know who you are, you've traveled quite a long way on this life already and you you are ready to distill some of what you've learned and really sit in the magic of that and you know I always remember I think it was Lara Owen wrote a book years ago ago and it was um I think she coined the phrase of you know we hold the gold within us like when we're no longer bleeding that we are actually now containing that we're not giving that out it's now contained within us and there's something that happens to us as women where we go through these phases of well well one of the phases is literally burning the house down right of like clearing house of saying yeah not, this doesn't work I'm done I'm done I'm done with you know we're no longer willing to tolerate some of the things that we maybe have tolerated up until this point and there's kind of a clearing of the decks and then there is like a retreat and a hibernation that kind of happens where we don't want to be out as much or you know we're more aware of of the importance of time and energy and what we spend it on where, where we're investing and where we're not and the legacy that we're here to embody so I think that this is a fantastic if not highly misunderstood or highly negated rite of passage for women I think there's an uprising happening right now with the work of Alexandra Pope for example and with her work on wise power but there's a you know an uprising of no we need to really understand what the power of menopause is and Christiane Northrup wrote, wrote a book years ago around this and I think that, that it's starting to enter into the collective because I think we as women a, a very large swath of us are going through this right now and we're women who have a voice and women who are talking about this and actually naming it as being a rite of passage so I don't know I'm curious to hear what your experience is but that's been my experience is really it's about kind of the no bullshit like I'm here now and I'm not going to play those games that I might have played in the past and I I'm, I'm going to be much more mindful about how I use my energy and in service to what. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have that book by Christiane Northrup. So I'm excited uh, to read it. I think it'll be a potent one with a lot of information. So I went into menopause at 41, but didn't realize I thought I just lost my period from being vegan earlier right. on. So I was yeah. thinking I was getting it back. And then it came to like a perfect storm over this past Christmas and I'm now 43 where I had my hormones tested and it was like, oh yeah, you're a full-blown menopause. So my experience has been like uh, the rug ripped out from underneath yeah. my feet hormonally and all of that. But it does feel like, um, like a pause and a, a stepping back to be like, how do I want my life to proceed from yes. here? What do I want my legacy to be? How do I want to move forward with, and I don't know if this has shown up for you, but I don't have that um, young energy anymore. You know, that like fire, it's died down a little bit where it's so much more like yin, just like you spoke to that, like wanting to go within, 
wanting to hermit, not wanting to blast stuff off all over social media anymore. You know, it's more like very <laughs> soft. There's a huge softening that mm. has taken place. Um, so yeah, that that's been my experience with it. I'm still making sense of it yeah. all because yeah. it just, you know, at 43, I'm like, oh Early. my gosh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to spend, Early. you know, hopefully 40 years or another 40 years in crone. So I am completely on board with being the empress. <laughs> yeah, it's empowering though, right? Because, and I think that this does speak to a lot of things that are happening. And I think we, we're, we're evolving these archetypes, right? Because part of it is, is that, you know, in generations before us, women didn't live this long. We all didn't live this long. We're all living longer. And as we're living longer, this, you know, menopause phase has become a very different experience for most of us as women, because we're now living way past menopause. Mm -hmm. Whereas perhaps in years gone by, women would menopause and be in crone and go, right? That would be it. So, I think that there's something very powerful happening in us as a collective around this. And obviously our experiences are so wild, right? You at 41, I'm at 50 freaking five. And, you know, and I thought I was done a number of times and then it would come back, you know? And so I've been navigating the hormonal storm and how to work with that and normalizing it. This is the thing I want to normalize with us is, is that, you know, there are very natural and wonderful ways for us to work with what's happening within us. But again, we, we don't have access to that knowledge, many of us, because it wasn't handed down by our mothers. There was a wounding in the line that didn't even get to hand you down that there are, you know, all these different kinds of practices and herbs and yoni steaming and this and that and the other that you can do to really help mitigate some of the symptoms, you know, and, and for me, the whole world of Chinese medicine and acupuncture has been completely revolutionary in me handling when I go into an imbalance, because that's part of what happens is, is that, you know, I, I can veer vastly in what, what's happening one month. It's like my estrogen is super high and that's that symptom. And then the next month it's testosterone, you know, like it's moving. And part of what I've been learning in the process for me has been how to stay centered, mm. how to actually center myself with what's happening now and not get um, overwhelmed by it to the degree or attached to it or you know like it this too shall pass and it's an imbalance and it's showing me how to take care of myself it's showing me how to better nurture myself and so I think there's a lot in there to do with self-love and self-nurturance and listening to the body and that, that piece you mentioned about the young energy I think is really super interesting because I have had a lot of young energy in my life. I'm, I'm very fiery. I have a lot of fire energy. And what I've noticed is that, let me see if I can say it this way, that I am not inspired to push myself in the ways that I have in the past. I'm still being very creative, but there is a sitting back and into it because I'm no longer proving myself. And, and that, 
epidemic of not good enoughness, which we as women, which is seeded into us through the patriarchal system of thought and belief, we're constantly given the message that we're not enough, we're not good enough, we're never going to be good enough. To really see the emperor has no clothes or to really see through that one and that game has been tremendously powerful for me because what it's done is it's meant that I have more energy available to actually create from a different place inside of myself that is not engaged in trying to prove myself or trying to compare myself or be in competition with someone else to actually have to be out there in the world in the way that I'm told I should be. So a lot of it has been about reevaluating what actually feels like it's aligned and the things that are not aligned are shouting much more loudly at me because I don't have the capacity to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I don't. I, my body is not wired to do that anymore. And, um, and that's been really fascinating. And I think that when I speak to a lot of women who are going through this transition and this rite of passage, that's one of the things that comes up is that it's like you don't have the, it's just not there. So you have to live from a different place within yourself. And if if you push yourself back into that old shape, it's no longer, um, then then the body starts to suffer and you start to really see the symptoms come up. And I know that that's been really true for me. And that's been really an intense journey for me personally. And I think for a lot of women, because I think that I, I taught, you know, it's, it's fascinating where we talk a lot about the divine feminine, but then really the balance point of our internal nature being masculine and feminine, right? We are all, all of it. And where I am now in my life, that relationship between my inner masculine and feminine, the anima animus conversation is very different than it was when I was younger. And and some of that's to do with the wisdom of just going, oh, I'm not, that's not who, you know, it makes me think I was at a ritual circle last night, a ceremonial circle with sisters last night. We were all in our 50s. It was lovely. And um, and there was a round that someone initiated very organically in the circle. It made me laugh. And you might want to play this game because it was super fun. And the game was this. She started off sharing. She said, we were asking, like, who are you now? Who are you in this moment? Like, not like the story of who you've been, but right now. And she started off by saying, I don't know if I can tell you who I am, but I can tell you who I'm not. And she went on to say, I am not this woman anymore. I am not this. I am not that. I am. And the whole energy in the room was so excited by her claiming all the things she wasn't instead of the things that she was. And so then we all got a turn at doing that. And it was so fun to actually lay it down and be like, I am not this and I'm not that. I am, I am not any longer the woman who's comparing herself and trying and proving a little, little, I am not the answer to all your problems. I am not here to take care of everybody. I am not, you know what I mean? Like I am not, you know, the one who's going to fix every situation. I am not the only conduit to your healing and awakening. I am not, you know, and it was like, to put it all down. And I think menopause is about that. I think it's about putting down what doesn't fit anymore and who we thought we needed to be and should be and all of that 
you know, and um, there's a liberation in it. And I think that that's where I am is, uh, is it's less about who I am. It's more about who I'm not. Mm. And in that journey of who I'm not, a new version of self will come into being. Like that death, the death of the cells that don't fit anymore. We just don't have space for. Yes, yes, yes. And it's so, and it's actually liberating and fun. I mean, it was so much energy comes from that, right? It's like, oh, thank goodness. Mm, Yeah, yeah. It feels like there, and maybe you have this, or this is part of your work, but like a ceremony as you initiate into menopause, you know, like a very. No doubt. Yeah. When I was in the thick of it, I thought about, you know, in ancient times, we'd have all the women, you know, our elders with us, teaching us what's going on in our body, what's going on in a spiritual level, level, all of that to help us or, you know, walk with us over that threshold. I think that that's a lot of what's happening with the rising of the divine feminine and the rising of this conversation is, is that we're being called together with the women who are going through this and the women who've gone after us. And I know I feel like a big part of my ministry right now is to speak about this and to be out there in the world, talking about my own process as a way into what's happening for us as women, but really this, this arrival into this sovereign queen energy and understanding what that really means you know I said I said I found myself saying last night and this was really fascinating in circle that it feels like I'm looking through different eyes mm. like there's a different part of my being here now and it's actually really beautiful mm. And I'd like to invite us all to feel that maybe for a moment. It's as you look, as you as you consciously look through your own your eyes, who's looking through these eyes? Mm-hmm. Who, who is the who is the being that's actually looking through these eyes? And who whose eyes are you looking through in this moment? And this is actually a, a process that we go through in um, my archetypal work in the 13 Moon Mystery School. We have a practice where we actually see through the eyes of each different face of the mother so you know through the eyes of the great mother what do you see or through the eyes of the wise woman or through the eyes of the goddess of love or through the eyes of the priestess you know how does that shift our perception and so I feel like for me I'm aware when I look in the mirror we have a when we have a practice that we do with the mirror but when I look in the mirror I see a shift in who's here now. Yeah. And that is a recognition. And I think it's part of that rite of passage piece that you're saying is it's like there's a witnessing of that. Like, oh, you've changed. This transition has changed you. You are not who you were. You know? And that recognition is part of what helps us to land in this new phase and so for me when I look through those eyes now there's a certain oh it's so interesting the word that comes to mind is is stateliness like there's a stature or stateliness and it's very interesting because that's a very queenly word (laughs) Mm. there is a level of um dignity 
and acknowledgement for the journey thus taken. Yeah. That is a self-honoring, actually. Of, and I think that's probably my best description of what menopause is, is there is a, a reckoning of self-honoring of the journey thus far and what has happened and what you have been initiated into to be at this point in your life. Mm. Yeah. I love that, the witness, you know, being witnessed right. in it by other women or whoever it might be but just being seen like this is what my life was up until this point and this is where it's moving forward I'm not the same woman that's right I was a couple months ago you know there's yeah, some change yeah. and truth be known I mean on the left-handed path the path of the goddess we we're always changing that's what that whole menstrual cycle shows us right we're never the same that's the feminine is not meant to be that masculine or shiva consciousness that's the constant right that constancy which is so beautiful aspect of the masculine but the feminine is not that it's constantly changing it's moving and it's changing who who who's here you know and then you know so there's the monthly rhythm of that right and then there's the life cycle rhythm of that which is when we reach certain parts of our life you know i i I have great 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 honor to have a lot of friends of mine and teachers and mentors who are in their 70s and into their 80s and so I feel so blessed because I get to see where I'm going right <laughs> they're yeah. paving the way and I'm I'm looking at them you know 75 and 80 and and I'm able to feel the crone that's the crone and and I'm not there yet and it's not where I'm meant to be I'm still in my you know, I always remember my dad, one of the pieces of wisdom my dad gave me, and I never forget it because he didn't often say things, but he looked at me one day and he said, he said, the 50s, it's all about the 50s. Make sure you do whatever you really want to do in your life in your 50s, because that's when you still have the energy and the vitality and the power in your being to really still go out and be part of the world. And he said, it begins to shift in your 60s and 70s. Like you're not so outward. You are more inward, like your energy. And he said, but in your 50s, he said, you have the power of your own wisdom and you still have vitality to meet the world. And so it's a very profound time. And what I found myself saying to my partner the other day, I've been with my beloved, this is our 10th year together. So we've been together through our 40s into our 50s. And he's the same age as me, a little bit younger. He's my younger man, mm-hmm. six months younger than me. Um, and I looked at him the other day and I said, you know what? You know, we're both in our mid 50s. And I said, let's really be intentional with these years. I mean, we want to be intentional with our lives anyway. But I said, this is a time for us to really not let it pass us by and not have been actively really here asking the questions of what is it that we really want to do? What do we want to land? What do we want to legacy here? What is it we want to create that we are going to live out our lives through now? And how do we want to engage with life from this new place? You know, because obviously he's gone through his shift too. And we, we've both been through quite 
a, an intense five-year period, which also obviously for all of us has encompassed COVID and the whole mm. craziness of that experience in the midst of it, right? But I really, I feel if there's a, a piece that I'm sitting in right now that's real, and it's so beautiful, Lisa, that you, that you brought this into this space, which is, it reminds me of the consciousness of being awake to the choices and the intentions of what I am actually here doing. Mm. And do yeah. I really want to be spending my time that way? Because guess what? I can see where it's going. <laughs> and maybe I've got 25 or 30 years, good years left of life, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I really feel that clearing out and you spoke about it earlier, like burning the house down, what fits, what doesn't fit and how am I moving forward with my legacy? Ooh, I know I can feel it in my face. It's like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful time. So earlier on in the conversation, you spoke about your love for Jesus, for Yeshua. Yeah. Yeah. How does he play in? for you with the mystery school with the mm -hmm. Mary Magdalene, the divine masculine. Well, so this is a whole other part of my work that kind of falls into the other mystery school that I'm part of and, and that I curate, which is the Rosa Mystica Mystica mystery school. And that's based on the teachings of the, the Magdalene and the Mirafors and the ascent anointing priestesses. And there's a whole lineage of work that comes up that's so close to my heart that comes through that frequency and lineage. And so for me, you know, we all have our own versions of this story, but for me, and I'm glad that you brought up his name as Yeshua, because really that is his true name is Yeshua, not Jesus. That was the name he was given by the Christian church. He was Yeshua Ben, ben Joseph, right? That was his name. <laughs> and Magdalene was Magdalene. She wasn't even Mary Magdalene. Mary, again, is another name that's been given to her by the church. So Yeshua and Magdalene, for me, seeded over 2,000 years ago, a seed of the way of love, which is a not a religion. It's a philosophy. It's a way of being. It's a cosmology. It's a mystery school. It's a path of Tantra in the true sense of the word of yoking spirit into form. And it is a way that we are being guided through partnership, divine partnership, not just outside of self, but within self between our divinity and our humanity. And it is the pathway that shows us how to, how to become fully human. And this is a term that's used a lot in the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the apocryphal Gospel of Mary Magdalene, but also throughout Yeshua's teachings, which is this term to become fully anthropos. And to become fully anthropos means to become an awakened human. We might liken that to the Eastern philosophies in Buddhism, where they talk about the bodhisattva, right? The awakened bodhicitta of the heart is one who's walking as a, as a living emissary of that, or the path of the saints would be another way of looking at it, that we have the opportunity in this lifetime to awaken the Christed heart. Now, Christed heart has nothing to do with Christianity. Christed heart actually means the anointed one. Isn't that beautiful? To be Christed is to be anointed, and to be anointed is to be in the remembrance that we are divine and human. 
And the path of awakening our divinity is not through transcension, but through eminence. In other words, it's through our messy, extraordinary, challenging, beautiful, ugly, wild, passionate lives of being humans that we are given the opportunity to awaken to love mm. and thus invite in our divinity. So for me, that to bring in the seed here, my love of Jesus when I was a little girl was very real. And it was very much this. And I remember when I was little, I used to um, pray every night with Jesus, but I didn't do prayers. They, they weren't prayers I was taught to do. I would just have a conversation with Jesus and I would get him and I would ask him to protect and love. And I would go through this vast litany of everything that I could think of as a little girl, like, you know, from, you know, I, I, and I remember, I mean, I, the reason I'm laughing is it's bringing up this memory of, I, I remember I used to ask him to pray for Bambi. Mm. I, and isn't that iconic because Bam, that's a horrifying story, by the way, that Bambi lost his mother in that fire. And what a horrifying story to show to children that this loss of the mother, right? So you can imagine with the story I've told you about my own life, that Bambi was like something that terrified me and I was so upset. So I would pray to Jesus and I would ask him to help Bambi and make sure Bambi was taken care of. And obviously we can intuit that Bambi was me, right? Like there's a whole piece in there. But what I guess I'm saying is, is that that very early love relationship that I had with Yeshua, I believe was a pure transmission of love. Mm. And as an innocent child, I knew that. I knew what that was. So, you know, we can come back all these years later to my complete deep initiation and love for the Magdalene and the path that they were walking was already seeded within me as a little child, it was there. So for me, Yeshua and Magdalene show us not just the path of conscious love between human beings, between a man and a woman, or between, you know, however you identify your, yourself on the spectrum of your sexuality and gender, right? The ability for two beings to come together in conscious love and alchemize and transmute things together. Um, it also denotes an internal path of the inner marriage of the heros gamos, the inner marriage in the bridal chamber of our own beings between our polarities, between our masculine and feminine, the left and the right, the above and the below, the in, the in and the out, which were all at the basis of that mystery school that they were teaching in, which was really connected into hermeticism, which was coming from the stream through the Egyptian teachings and the connection into the Egyptian mystery schools of which they were, in, from my belief, both part, that they carried that, that they were actually were initiated priests and priestesses of the cult of Isis and that whole world. And so my relationship to that experience of them as teachers and ascended masters and, and beings who carried that transmission that was then taken and 
turned into the thing that it's now been turned into, which is so skewed and so twisted away from what its original meaning is, so much so that there are so many of us now who are awake, who are awakening to the Magdalene consciousness and the Yeshua consciousness of no, we're here to actually embody the way of love. And that's what that divine feminine awakening around we need to come into our humanity, not try to get out of it. That is the pathway. So that's a long, a long explanation, but it's it, it's super important to my own spiritual path and my own understanding of why I am here mm-hmm. and, um, and has landed in me more and more fully that um that this person or this consciousness that we could call Yeshua and this person or consciousness that we could call Magdalene hold a blueprint for us of the word of love and the being of love, the marriage. It's like I often say Yeshua was here to talk and transmit about love. And Magdalene was here to show us love, to be the embodiment of that love. Mm, that's beautiful. That union, their union coming and, together. Yeah, and that we each have an internal Yeshua and Magdalene that are here, or Osiris and Isis, or you know, Makeda and Solomon, any of these divine emanations of the union showing us that marriage internally. Mm. Who who are the six faces of the Magdaliner? Yeah, well, I I've been working with the Magdalene for quite a few years now, and I, in my dreaming of her, um, was shown this six petaled rose, which is the the rose of the Magdalene, the Magdala rose, the this six petaled roses at the center of early Gnostic Christian teaching, and what I heard was, oh, there's the six phases, right, of our spiritual maturation, if you will. And within that, I then heard these different faces of the Magdalene teaching us this journey of spiritual maturation, where the rose goes from seed to, you know, waxing bloom to full bloom to waning bloom to rose hip again, right? It goes through this process that is, again, at the center of that menstrual cycle, at the lunar cycle, the tides, the seasons, all of it, right? It's all fractalized information of the same thing. Well, within that, I received that there are, were, that there were six faces I was being called to work with. And so they, they go like this, the red maven, who tends to the root and to the seed, the high priestess who awakens the seed into the third eye to awaken to the penetration of the divine and the human to awaken the potential of who we are, to the sovereign queen who sits upon her throne and begins to open the potential of who we are into the world, who then brings it up to the Rosa Mystica who's in the heart, who awakens the heart of devotion and love and beauty that we're here to walk the full bloom of who we are, 
to the ecstatic alchemist who's I call her the fragrant bloom of who we are mm. when we just can't help but share who we are in the world because it's just oozing from us in every moment and with nothing we have to do anymore in order to actually have that um, exude from us. It's just dripping in like honey nectar to the death maiden who is the rose hip who has brought everything back inside again to be regenerated and reborn. Isn't that beautiful? That's beautiful. That felt like crone at the end there, which we all go through in our monthly yeah, cycle. Yeah. But that. And, and the, if I could map that onto my life, I'm in sovereign queen ecstatic alchemist, right? And that's where I am. I'm, 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 you know what I mean? I've, I've come into sovereign queen, but I'm also in this ecstatic alchemist of like in the fullness of sharing what it is I'm here to share. And so there's a life cycle piece in here of the rose, which is you know, a deep, deeply embedded symbology, if you will, of this path mm. of spiritual maturation. And that we'll go through this many, many times in our life. We will go from the root, from the seed, through to full bloom, through to rose hip. Like we are constantly regenerating ourselves and finding ourselves anew. And so there's something very beautiful. And these six faces have guidance for us and initiatory gateways for us and wisdom for us when we begin to tap into them. Mm, yeah. Spiritual maturation. I love that because it is we we're new each time we go through these cycles. That's right. Yeah. Thank you for asking. <laughs> yeah. Can you tie in Avalon with the rose or just <laughs> Avalon in general? <laughs> oh my goodness. I can in the sense of the way that, well, I have to start by saying that Avalon is, you know, I get often get asked this question, where is Avalon? <laughs> Like, what is Avalon? And this is my understanding of Avalon. And, you know, don't take it as being truth. This is just my understanding from my own experience. So Avalon is an etheric consciousness. It is a temple that has existed for all time. Some would say it goes back to the legendary places of Atlantis and Lemuria, that it has this this crystalline quality to it, the temple of Avalon, and that it has been part, you know, a place in our consciousness etherically that has, has and always is, just is. So it's a frequency. And the Avalon has touched down into the earth plane and made manifest in various places on the planet over the last however many thousands of years. And that the last time that this was really embedded into the culture was in the Celtic time, the Arthurian time, after the Celtic time, during that period of time when Avalon grounded into a certain part of England, which is now called Glastonbury, and it's in a physical space. And Glastonbury happens to be my personal spiritual home and the place that I, one of the places I love the most on the planet. And I spend at least a month if not two there every year if I can because I'm so like fed and nurtured by that place and it's not far from where I actually grew up and lived and I have ancestry in that part of England so that's a little about Avalon itself so what we have in Glastonbury modern day Avalon from my experience is an un 
broken access into the lineage of the priestess and the 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 culture of priestess and and priest that comes through the druid celtic lines where women and men were in equal leadership where they were allowed to be in equality around their leadership both spiritually and within states state statesmanship or within warriorship all of that and there is an access point there with the ley lines and the sacred sites and the sacred stones and the the churches and the just the the energy there which kind of can put you into this connection with something that feels timeless and that's really the meaning of the word ancient is timeless right so I am a priestess of an Avalonian tradition. That's the 13 Moon Mystery School. And obviously there is an intersection somewhere here with the Magdalene mm -hmm. and Avalon. What I feel happened in my imagination and history that I've read and studied is that, that you know, as Magdalene came from, and, and there's evidence in the UK that, Magdalene and Yeshua were both there like there's a lot of evidence in, in terms of stained glass windows and in terms of history and mythology and legend that they were both ministering in England and Scotland but what I imagine happened is is that Magdalene made her way from the south of France and pilgrimed to learn from and share with the sisters and priestesses who were grounded their temples in Glastonbury or in that area of England and that there was an interface where they brought together the way of love, the way of the rose and what I would call the deeper um, druidic lines, which were a lot to do with working with the cycles and the seasons and the depth of connection into magic and mystery from that lineage. And that there was a marriage that happened there of wisdom. And so for me, the way of the rose is an acknowledgement that we have this connection into these teachings that are way, way, way more ancient than even Magdalene mm -hmm. and her connection into the rose. Because when we really talk about the rose, we're then going to going into another planetary being, which is Venus. And the connection into Venus is, is that as Venus makes her way around the cosmos she casts a pattern in the sky that makes a five petaled rose and that she is perhaps one of the most ancient mystery schools along with the moon the moon and venus that depicted and was actually grounded in the mysteries of the inanna myth that comes from the, it was literally our first ever written down thing that we have evidence of from the Sumerian culture in 3500 BC that's a long time ago mm. <laughs> a long time ago you know we're talking like whatever 5,000 years ago right when they wrote this myth down and this myth was based upon the movements of Venus when we could see Venus and when we couldn't see Venus and when she would reappear again and the story that grew up around that was that there was a descent journey that Venus went into the darkness just as Inanna goes through the seven gateways into the darkness and then comes into the world again reborn 
So again, we've got this yeah. journey right, of life, death and rebirth, which of course is at the center of our human journey. So all of these different ley lines and history lines, and you know what I mean? There's a woven texture that we begin to see unfold itself. And so for me, Avalon has become a place in my own being and my, my psyche and my heart where I can access into this incredible array of teachings that all are talking to the same wisdom and we know that we're with truth right when we see the same thing repeated in so many different places that we can start to um feel that that, that oh there's there's really something here being communicated because we keep hearing from a lot of different lenses the same story mm. so there's a deep poetry for me to avalon to the sisterhood of the rose to the magdalene rose line to the celtic and druid line to and this is all my own heritage and that's part of it too is is that a lot of this has to do for me with my own lineage lines and bloodlines and things that i'm connected into from my blood lineage but also from just being from that part of the world and i think that's part of my work has been to re-cohere myself to those lineages and understand what those bring to me. So, you know, we all have a myriad of different lineages and different stories and different goddesses and different places that we're drawn, both through our blood lineage, but also through our spiritual lineages, right? And so part of what I think the work that we're all up to is re-cohering those roots, which is brings in our red maven again, right? Mm -hmm. Revitalizing our root system so that we can all bring through the, the indigeneity that we all have, right? So we're all indigenous to somewhere. The, the deal is, is that most of us have been uprooted from where we have our indigenous roots. And there's a piece of our work here that is about honoring those roots. And at the same time, honoring the diversity of all the different root systems coming together, mm. creating the beauty of the whole. So there's so much, so much. Yeah. There's like 14 different conversations we can have about that. But I just thought clearly that was important for me to say. Mm. It felt like, you know, we each individually have our own tapestry that we're weaving right. on this planet. And then it's all coming together as yeah. a collective in a, a beautiful woven tapestry Avalon is my soul home as well oh, yeah I love hearing definitely yeah. where you experience Kairos time where it's like you could be there <laughs> between the veils yes between the veils for sure what has been your biggest lesson along the way oh my god humor <laughs> I, I, I said to someone the other day, I'm so grateful that I inherited this sense of humor from somewhere along my line. Um, I've all, you know, I'm like many of us on this path, I'm highly sensitive. <laughs> and to have that balanced out with the humor is such a gift because I have learned to laugh at myself, which I couldn't do when I was younger at all. I took life very seriously and I was very, um, very, very sensitive to feeling humiliated and shamed 
that was a big part of my healing too and so for me feeling the freedom of and the love and the compassion that I have for myself and everybody else on this crazy human journey that we're on and being able to laugh at just sometimes how incredibly absurd it is you know is such a gift and it actually tempers then my ability to be able to be deeply in the compassion of the suffering or the the pain and the all of it right the just the all of it of life like I feel like that's the greatest gift that I've been given is is to be able to sit in that place of deep humility and humor which come from the same world word and human which is yeah. all coming from that root word of humas which is the earth of the earth of the ground you know and so I feel like that's one of the greatest lessons that I've learned in this life <laughs> yeah yeah I feel that comes with age as well with that yeah. wisdom where it's like we don't have to take everything so seriously and indeed, indeed, in the moment of, of seeing through it, it changes, right? Mm -hmm. That's the thing is, is that humor is incredibly transformational. So, yeah. yeah. How do you experience the mysteries? Every day. <laughs> I am in the mystery every day. I'm in the absolute awe mm -hmm. of how things are being woven in front of my very eyes and the mystery gives me the capacity to be able to appreciate that yeah last question here is how do you root into the self and I would love for you to you know earlier on in the conversation when we were speaking about going through the initiation into through menopause it felt like that more dropping into the womb wisdom into the holy grail um which the shoulds don't live there you know, it's just truth lives there. Um, so yeah, if, if there's anything that comes up for you on how you root into, into the self, but into the wisdom of your womb. For me, it's a very, um, and so maybe we do this together. I, I literally bring my hands down to my lower belly, to my womb space. You know, it doesn't matter if you have a physical womb or not. Just take a moment to soften down into my hips, into my perineum, into my yoni, into my, you know, into that part, into the pelvic bowl, and just to feel this softening and opening connection down to earth. <sighs> I'm beginning to feel my own root, like a tap root from the base of my spine, just falling down into the earth, being magnetically pulled down into the earth beneath me and being pulled down into all the other roots of all the other trees plants animals beings that we're all rooted into this planet you know we're actually cells of her body we're not separate we're one massive living organism and that's where I begin, you know, that's dropping down and into this root. And I mentioned the Red Maven earlier on. The Red Maven is very much this energy of this spiraling into our core energy of creation itself. That we are this conduit, this vessel of creation, and that we are always creating from source. And that we have this incredible capacity as human beings to create consciously. And what a gift that is. 
and that that is all rooted in the womb space for us as women, but also as men or however you identify that there's a psychic or cosmic womb inside of every one of us that we create from. Mm. Mm, so there we are. Beautiful. <laughs> is there anything else that you want to add to this conversation before we close any offerings? Oh, i just want to thank you for such a generous space and for asking such brilliant questions and for just giving a platform to have women you know share this kind of information with each other and um yeah thank you for the invitation it just feel really juicy and alive and i like wow we traveled very far and deep and wide in this conversation so thank you for that we did well thank you so much for this conversation i'll be in the show notes where everybody can experience your your magic and your medicine so thank you thank you so much lisa blessings to everybody thank you so much for joining me for an episode of the phoenix rising podcast please like share download subscribe if you enjoyed this episode and i will see you next week for another episode on the phoenix rising podcast sending so much love